After a very, very long hiatus, we are finally back in a town both wonderful and strange. This is How's Annie, a Twin Peaks podcast that delves in and reviews the brand new season. This week, we focus on parts one and two, which aired on Showtime and Sky Atlantic this past weekend. But joining me as always is my wonderful co-host, Emily. How are you doing, Emily? I'm good, Charlie. I'm picking up the pieces of my blown mind. But other than that, I'm really excited. How long did it take you to pick those up? Um... Well, I watched the episode again, so I think some more pieces have fallen off. Yeah, you think that but... <laughs> you'd think that you'd know, like you'd be a bit more calm than the second time, but it's actually the opposite. You kind of don't know what's going on times two. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's kind of fun to go through that again. Uh, joining us this week, we're being joined by nerdist writer Carly Lane. How are you, Carly? I'm cool. I've always been cool. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm, I'm good, though. <laughs> so how, how have you been? Like, how was your watch of the new episodes? Did you uh, uh, try and watch back? Uh, I tried to watch. Well, they, they released the first two. Uh, and then apparently if you had streaming service or uh, certain kind of access, they actually put up the first four. So I tried to power through and see if I could do all four in one sitting. And when I started to fall asleep during in the middle of four, I decided to stop. I was like, I'm going to stop until I can watch this in full and really process it. So I got about three and a half episodes in before I had to stop. But I'm probably going to rewatch it just because I feel like there's so much that happens that needs to be poured over and dissected and analyzed because I don't I know a little bit about what's going on but I still have no idea what's going on yeah totally I mean Emily you're the only one here that's only watched both of the first two episodes I've watched all four so I think your reaction is going to be the purest out of all of us <laughs> oh no <laughs> I'm going to be wrong about so many things no way no we'll be fine I mean yeah no spoilers at all so let's just go back uh, straight to the beginning of the episode, basically. Um, we get a flashback to the season two finale, which was fun for me because I watched it straight before the new episode came out. And it was good to see um, those scenes again having great importance on the story. Uh, we understand what happened to the coop. They show us what happened. Then, then we cut to the town of Twin Peaks itself, um, a bit different to how we last saw it 25 years later on. And the screen focuses on Laura Palmer, which I think is a very good... Um, it's like Lynch telling the audience we're focusing on the story again and we get a new opening. What was it like seeing the new opening for the first time, guys? I was excited just because... Well, and it's a new opening, but then the theme and everything and the credits were the same, so it was new but also exciting it in the nostalgic sense because you were like, it's happening again, it's happening! <laughs> yeah, I was so excited to hear that theme again. I mean, it's so iconic and it puts me right back in that mood. But then seeing the new visuals, like there's the really long focus on the waterfall. And of course, it's David Lynch, so I'm immediately like trying to figure out if that means anything. And it could mean absolutely nothing. It's just the opening credits. Right. And the shot of um, the Black Lodge's floor, which just keeps spinning around and around. It's like it's trying to make you nauseous in the first opening <laughs> few minutes. Yeah, I actually had to look away a little bit from that because I have a very strong like like motion sickness reflex and that got oh, to me God. a little bit which is probably what he was trying to do because i was like even i was kind of like what are you doing <laughs> getting crazy already and then uh, we open up in 
this sort of black and white room. And we're back with Del Cooper. And what appears to be the giant, but actually, even though he looks like the giant, he's credited as seven question marks. Which I found very interesting. Okay, well, for the purpose of the podcast, for right now, I'm going to continue to call him the giant. Okay. Because I don't know how to pronounce seven question marks. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, that's a good idea. We're calling the giant still. So, what did you think about seeing this room? Like, because we mentioned last time, Emily, that um, the idea of have we actually seen the Black Lodge itself, or have we just seen the waiting room? Could this room be the Black Lodge? I still don't know. Um. I keep going back and forth on that. I think right now, my feeling is that... I was going to say my feeling is we're still in the waiting room, but then he talks... Well, then Doppel Cooper talks about getting taken back to the Black Lodge, so I think that might be the Black Lodge. I'm very indecisive when it comes to this. Yeah, I think it's very... There's so many sort of uh, open-ended answers to this, but... There's a lot of hints in the episode itself that suggests it's either both. The waiting room is both the waiting room and both the lodges at the same time. It's very confusing. What did you think about that scene, Carly? Oh, I see. And then it's it's like, I don't know. I still, <laughs> there's so much of the show. I feel like I'm going to just be sitting here going, what does it mean? And my, I mean, my instinct is like, I don't know. <laughs> I, I feel like it's. I feel like this entire episode is just going to be me being like, I have no idea. Which I think is fine as well. Like, it's it's always have interesting to have sort of different ideas, and I think not knowing in itself is kind of interesting because I think slowly we start to unravel it, and the more we focus on it, the answers will come to us. I mean, the giant gives new questions because, of course, he does. He's not that helpful. He just gives you sort of a cryptic clues and you have to figure it out for Coop um okay let's just like one of those real quickly because first of all there's the the listen to the sounds and you hear like the the sort of clicking and scratching then we hear it is in our house now it all cannot be said aloud now and then we get into really I guess even more interesting stuff because we get remember 430 Richard and Linda, two birds with one stone. And Coop says, I understand. And then the giant says, you are far away. Which intrigues me a lot. Obviously, I have no idea about the idea of these messages. But the one that scares me the most is the, uh, the, the one before the final one, which is um, two birds, one stone. Obviously, we know that. Uh, that bad coop is being drawn back into the lodge um, and could there be the potential that Dell has to kill himself to stop this happening I mean that's certainly a possibility I mean because I'm still sort of kind of confused about the whole doppelganger situation like is this Bob possessing uh, the form of another Cooper or is it just a completely different identity I know we discussed we discussed this last you time know, was, about Leland. Yeah, um, I feel like for now, the assumption that I'm working under when I watch this is the doppelganger is sort of its own thing. 
like somehow mm-hmm. related to Bob, and maybe even Bob controls it. But I'm not, I'm not quite willing to call him Bob yet, simply because I, I feel like maybe we're gonna see, like, an actual personification of Bob at some point. Right, and it seems that there's these, certainly these events that have been going around the world that seem related to Bob, or at least these other spirits. Um, so maybe he's he possesses the body as a sort of gateway, like the doppelgangers are a, a means to an end for him to take over. But yeah, it, well, I'll, ask, I'll ask you a question later about Leland, because I'm still intrigued about the whole doppelganger situation. Um, and then obviously we go to the scene with the box, which is probably the most confusing and most lynching out of all the sequences in the episode. Um, and I wonder what your thoughts are on this, Carly. The box. Well, and we see the box. I mean, when we first see the box, there's no way. Like, I was like, I don't even know what this is about. <laughs> <laughs> like, this kid's, this kid's being paid to watch the box, to occasionally take pictures of the box. Uh, and then I think, well, I don't want to spoil it. I think in season two is... When, well, the first, or not season two, episode two, I think, well, episode one, something appears inside the box, which is terrifying. Yes. Right. Uh, but I think, based on what I've seen so far, it's some kind of interdimensional portal where things come through from the Black Lodge. Yeah, we do. It is episode two where we see Cooper come through. That's right. Okay, I was going to be like, I hope that's not a spoiler <laughs> for episode three. Um, well, because we see several things come through the box. We see that weird, demonic, like, white flickering thing. And then we see that breaks through. And then Cooper apparently comes through either just before or... I think people are speculating that he is the thing. That, But I was like, I don't think he's the no, thing. No, I don't think that either. Kids. I, I would highly doubt that. Um, So it looks, but it looks like, because what happens is when he comes through the box, it's like a time jump backwards, you know, five minutes, ten minutes before those kids start making out on the couch. And, and then they get killed. So, but I think my, my guess is that it's some kind of weird interdimensional portal, but I still have no idea how it came to be, who's, like, clearly someone's paying for that room and, like, tracking it i don't know who's tracking the box like who's paying people you know uh to watch it and how that's going to come into play because i do like the part i do like the fact that it's when you see it in episode one it seems like a completely random thing and then when cooper shows up inside it you're like huh so that's gonna tie in somehow yeah and it definitely seems that someone has another purpose with the black lodge and trying to work out and observe these different things. I wanted to say, um, I don't know, Carly, if you read the Secret History of Twin Peaks book. I, you are the third person that has mentioned that to me in the last like two days, and I promise I'm gonna. I'm. I made a promise I'm gonna get a copy of it this week because <laughs> there's like you're like the third person that's been like, have you read it yet? It's really good. <laughs> Do you mind if I speak about a few things that are in it? You can. That's fine. Okay. I'm not. It's not that crucial. So there's, I'm still going to read it. <laughs> oh, yeah, totally. There's a section in the book where uh, you find out that President Nixon um, knew about some of the stuff about sort of um, the Lodge and the FBI searching into these sort of case files, as we know. 
But there's a sequence in it in particular where Nixon and uh, Douglas Milford go to this um, sort of Area 51 type setup. And uh, I've got some quotes from the book that describes it. And I want to see what your guys' um, feelings and how it relates to this sort of scene. Uh, a long wooden console and chairs faced the window that ran the length of the room and was currently obscured by a shade. We were looking into the very dimly lit room that appeared to be empty. Then in roughly the centre of the room, I realised the shape, small and pale, appeared to be sitting or squatting, showing us only a greyish-greenish-white spiny back. I saw the shape react, stiffen. Then it turned to look our way through the window. It seemed likely to me that it was a one-way glass, mirrored on the interior side, and a brief moment the shape of its face was visible. The glimpse we got was extremely brief before it vanished again. And then it sort of describes it as large oval black eyes, non-existent mouth, smooth bulbous head. And obviously this sort of links into the idea in the book, which is presented as the um, trans-dimensional spirits as sort of similar to um, UFO sightings, or at least UFO sightings are actually what these uh, creatures are doing. Do you think this links into the glass box that we see in the pilot? Uh, the two episodes, sorry. Oh, definitely. Like, when I... Because I... The first time I watched, like, that that shape that you see is so fast. And I was watching my laptop and I had a hard time sort of seeing what was going on. When I paused it on this last rewatch, like, it's a fairly classic gray alien look to it. I mean, it's a little, it's a little like, bigger. Like, because in, in, like, a lot of the, the sci-fi stuff, those aliens tend to be, like, super skinny. And this was a little, like, fatter. But it has that smooth white head. It has like the like I don't even know if it does have a mouth. I didn't see one, but it has that look to it. If you pause the uh, the shot, you can see it's actually a female form. Uh, it has like breasts, and it looks kind of like the statue in the Black Lodge. Uh, with a, the bulbous head, sort of looks a lot like the tree that we see. Um, the what the little man has turned into, basically. So I'm yeah, intrigued. It also has a. It when it's killing the those two, it has a similar movement to when you see that doppelganger tree attack Cooper. Yeah, and that's I think that's kind of what it's hinting at. Um, obviously, later on in the episode, it mentions that uh, the tree is evolving, which I assume so is the doppelganger, and it, could that potentially be what the doppelganger uh, Mike is turning into? I mean, I think so. I'm not willing to put anything in stone when it comes to Twin Peaks, but that was my idea of where that was going. Yeah, still hard to decipher that sort of sequence, but I think I think what's interesting, the most intriguing part for me is actually not really the supernatural stuff, but who's actually behind funding this sort of operation. Because those SD cards cost a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I'm intrigued by, and the sort of the people that worked there before and why they disappeared. It seems very interesting, and like we mentioned about Coop, obviously, um, is it future or is it past? I think the transdimensional aspects of it, there is no sort of active timescape, like with how um, Fire Walk with Me, uh, the Black Lodge seems to have no sort of essence of time. Coop appeared to Laura, even though. He was trapped after season two. Uh, do we think that the Black Lodge, or well, whatever it is, transcends in a different sort of 
dimensional scale to our world. Definitely. And I think I think that is it the future or is it the past question is going to be a main thread throughout this season. Like I think we're going to see a lot of things and not quite know when they're happening. Oh, so you think there's like sort of time travel elements? And- yeah, to some degree. Like the kids watching the box could be in a different time than the principal getting arrested for the, you know, as a murder suspect could be in a different time from everything going on in Twin Peaks with people deciding to start looking for Cooper again. Well, even like within, even if it's in within a small period of time, like even if it's within like a a few days, like I was trying to sequence together, like when that murder investigation was lining up with the stuff with Doppelgang Cooper and the um, uh, Dara in the hotel and whether it was completely co- like side by side or if there was some of that that was interweaving a little bit, I couldn't quite put my finger on it. I think it seems to be at the same sort of time um, with the whole idea that he's being dragged back into the Black Lodge. I think that in terms of time there, there's a definite clock running oh there. yeah there's they're definitely together i just wasn't quite sure necessarily what order some of those scenes were happening in yeah i think it's, it's sometimes it's a bit complicated to catch up with the places like how far he gets from one location to another i mean there's a chance he could have been in an hour <laughs> and then bob likes to do that and again it could be overthinking it there was there's a scene when when he um uh, Ray is talking about how he's going to talk to Hastings' secretary. And I was wondering if it was that was happening, like, right before the guy's arrest, right after the arrest. Uh, I'm assuming it's before the arrest. Like, he also tried to sell these other stuff and got caught on the way there. Um, yeah, it's very hard to pin down, especially with the idea that he's working, like, like Philip Jeffries is in the mix somehow, who we know was in Firewalk with me, played by Bowie. It, it's hard to pin down the time scale on that. I'm not quite sure. But we're just gonna go. So let's go. Let's go back to. We're introduced to Doppelganger Coop. So what are we calling him, by the way? Because we uh, had a little <laughs> argument the other day on Twitter. <laughs> uh, what do you want to call him? I mean, I like Doppel Cooper. But you prefer Koopelganger? Yeah, Koopelganger. Which I find slightly <laughs> hard to say. <laughs> okay, Carla, you get to decide. <laughs> I was just calling him Evil Cooper, but... Oh, man. I like... I guess, well, do- Doppel- Doppelkoop is kind of fun. Okay. It just Either way, it sounds ridiculous. <laughs> or there's Johnny Cash Coop. Okay, no, I'm not oh, calling man. him that. <laughs> <laughs> he does have great hair though also those those pitch black contacts he wears oh, oh horrible oh, right so unsettling so unsettling but really really good like there's a uh really good scene coming up in episode four that i won't spoil but it's so un- like it's so unsettling it's just because there's like no light reflected in his eyes and you can see like I guess it's probably partly the way that they lit this scene where, A, he's got the pitch black irises, you know, with the contacts in, and then, B, 
the way that Lynch like lit the other actors in the scene that light is reflected in their eyes but it's not in evil coopers and it's so creepy it's so creepy i think like yeah and that goes back to the classic lynch style they're always being doubles and like two sets like when doppelgoop was in the black lodge his eyes were bright and white but as soon as he gets out they're very dark and black it's nice little contrast Mm -hmm. there and very creepy um so yeah emily you were talking about bad coop yeah, so Winter news to him, I learned it like in some fairly like classic weird Lynch characters in this in this trailer. Uh we get Otis and Lula and it's sort of this um it, it's it's not explained, it's probably never gonna be explained. Nope. But then we get <laughs> Ray and Daria who, I mean, this all, it's very obvious that he has some sort of large network of people. Yeah, he's, like, working with all these weird business partners. Um, I mean, I th- it's fairly safe to assume that that's uh, the guy in Vegas, who we see for, you know, two minutes... Yeah, I would assume so. I think that so this is what uh, it complicates with the whole sort of Bob situation. I can understand if um, Coop is being possessed by Bob still, and this is why he's doing these sort of operations, obviously, getting involved to sort of make drug gangs or just these criminal enterprises to help cause fear. I mean, obviously, we know that the Black Lodge spirits, they like Garmin Bozia, that sort of weird cream corn stuff, and Coop or Bad Coop is eating that in the diner with Ray and um, Daria. So maybe that, that links into why he's doing this sort of stuff. Like, obviously the murder and the fear caused out of it helps to sustain him. And I mean, he's, his, he's got some sort of incredibly complicated plan going on. Because we have, we have this murder. We have um, Ruth Davenport's head. And this right. unknown body. Yes. And we have the school principal, uh, Bill Hastings. Or as I like to call him, um, uh, Principal Shaggy. <laughs> Man, I had I had some I haven't seen Matthew Lillard in about like ten years. So I couldn't quite believe how like he's like an adult now. I know. He's an adult. Which is, like, it makes it really unsettling because I don't know if either of you watch Riverdale, but Ski Ulrich is on that yes. show now yes. as Jughead's dad. And so I'm, like, it's I'm having, like, scream flashbacks <laughs> yeah. of, you know, oh, man, why'd you shoot me? I'm bleeding, I'm bleeding really bad. You know, like, that whole end scene where they're just, like, trying to stab each other. <laughs> um, but it's so funny. It's funny because... I remember, like, look, seeing Matthew Lillard and being like, I still see Shaggy and, like, Stu from Scream. Yeah. <laughs> like, and even, like, Ski Ulrich, I'm like, I still see, like, 90s, you know? <laughs> uh, yeah, definitely. Like, when um, they, the police came to the door, all I could think was Zoinks indeed. Uh, this, <laughs> this is, like, he's in some serious trouble now, isn't it? Um, I have to say, and, though, they have some um, 
interesting policing technique in South Dakota where they don't tell him why they're arresting him, which I'm not sure if you're allowed to do. Oh, I don't know about that. Like, I think if somebody asks why they're being arrested, I think Maybe. you're supposed to tell them. Could be because the uh, the severity of the crime, maybe? Maybe. Or maybe it's just because they're... I mean, they obviously have some sort of, like, relationship with this guy. Yeah, they're like it, high it school together. Me. Yeah, okay. So, Bill Hastings and his wife, Phyllis. Yes. There's so many, so many new names to learn. I know. All right. <laughs> so, Bill tells his wife that he dreamed about being in the apartment. Right. With Ruth and Davenport. With Ruth Davenport. And and the wife says that she always knew about the affair. And, uh, you know, we learned that he, she's been having an affair with the their attorney. Yeah. And then the wife goes back home. Cooper, Doppel Cooper is there. Yes. There's obviously some sort of pre-knowledge because she recognizes him. Yeah. And, and then he, he seems to suggest that um, she was part of the um, murder. Yes. And he shoots her with the lawyer George's gun. Because... He'll I mean, be turning he, up. Yeah. This is Have an a... extremely complicated plan. Yeah. Oh, I... and also, it's it's important. This is I'm, because it's going to be important. Um, we know when when Bill was arrested, when the cop is asking him like his whereabouts, it comes up that he he gave his secretary a ride home because there was something wrong with her her, her car. Right. And then we see in a later scene. After after Ray and and Dabakoop and Daria have been in the diner talking about how Ray is going to be trying to get information from Hastings' secretary, there's also this scene where they're putting this car into a garage, like or like a, a storage unit or something. Yeah. Oh yeah, I didn't really, I didn't notice the similarity between that. I'm. I'm not sure what that is yet. I'm not sure if it was a way to try and screw up Bill's possible alibi. I mean, it could be, yeah. That makes sense if, obviously, Bad Cooper's trying to push the blame off him, or not get involved at all. Um, yeah, I'm intrigued by the whole sort of storyline there, because... A bit like the original series, it does a good job of skewering the lines between is Bob possessing this guy, or is he just the bad guy who's using excuses? Because you seem pretty on his side at first, he's like a nice guy, he's smiling, you know, he's the principal, and then he does that big sort of angry row, and you, it's clear that he is having an affair with uh, this this lady. And she's known for a while, so it's like his alibi sort of slips through the cracks. It sort of reminded me a bit of Leland's story. 
wondered what you guys thought about the sort of connections there. Yeah, I it's interesting. It's like one of those things where it's, I mean, I know I you know even that whole shot where he's in the jail cell and the camera just pans over and you see that black that coal black thing. Oh just, yeah, what the hell was that? Sitting, that was the just sitting in the cell next to him, and I'm like, huh? <laughs> that was the creepiest <laughs> that, shot I, in the whole. I honestly think that was to me was more terrifying. Like Bob was always kind of scary for me. In, in a certain sense, but never, like, nightmare-inducing. That Whatever that thing was in the cell, like, that's nightmare fuel for oh, me. Yeah, it was so good. And it was so good because that pan goes on. David Lynch is so good at this. That pan goes on for so long, and you know you're going to see something. But I was thinking maybe, like, oh, maybe there'll be, like, a character we know. Maybe, like, there'll be some sort of connection to an old thing. Yeah, like if someone else was in the cell, and then you get this <laughs> nope <laughs> horrifying because he he's... and then it's scary. Oh, it's so scary! He's just looking at it's just looking at the camera like, Ugh. and then it disappears, which makes that even worse. <laughs> it's like where is it going? I think it reminded me a lot of the first thought that came into my mind when I saw that guy was um, the oil from uh, Glastonbury Grove, and how when Bob. Uh, killed all these people the first thing they smelled was this scorched oil I mean I mean I wouldn't put it past anything that's the thing with these throws I'm like you you start to analyze it so much and sometimes these very small things are actually really big things and sometimes they're not at all and it's hard to know which is which and sometimes Lynch I think just likes the visual like, yeah. the Id- like how the, the sort of complete blackened character, when he opens his eyes, it makes the white pop out even more and <laughs> just creeps you out. And one thing I wanted to ask you both, do you think the body is going to turn out to be anybody important or... Is it more the head that we're focused on, or neither? Uh, well, I know one of my friends posed a theory, but I think it isn't. It's related to something that pops up in a, in not one of these. Oh, episodes. Okay. <laughs> I think it is somebody that we know from, uh, from the original show, but I don't want to say because it's a spo- okay. <laughs> it's kind of a spoiler. Right, thank you. Um. But I will say, I will say, there's something that happens where they, they, they basically, it's, it hap, what happens when they run the fingerprints on the John Doe and what, what they find, which isn't really definitive, but it's making me speculate that it's somebody, <laughs> that it's somebody from the original I show. I will say, Emily, um, I had a theory watching the first two episodes and reading the book about who it could be, um, I think episode three and four adds to that. I think that's what Carly's talking about as well. Yeah, I, I had the same thought, and I think that watching more confirmed it. But I think the clues are there in the first two episodes. Okay. I'm wondering what you you think, Emily. I mean, it seems like almost too much of a wasted opportunity for it to not be somebody 
or at least not be important because because it's very different from um, Bob's killings in the series and in Firewalk with Me. Yeah, I mean that's the... a that's a very different thing to do, and there's got to be some reason for it. And I think if you're going to go to that that way, then you have that body be somebody. Yeah, and a lot of the murders in this episode were very different to uh, what we we're usually seeing. I mean, it's actually it's it's one of the reasons I don't think that doppelganger coop can just be straight up Bob. Yeah, I think he's definitely like the way Bob like goes about his business, as opposed to um, just being stuck in that body. Especially because when he shot, when he shoots that woman, he shoots what the wife or the uh, uh, and and the wound on her in her eye looks remarkably similar to yes. the wound in the library yes, space. Completely. So I was like, hmm, that's probably deliberate. <laughs> Which is intriguing because that links into um, was it the was it the lawyer's gun that was used by Bob? Oh, I don't know. Or was it the husband's gun? Yeah, that's what I can't remember. Did he do it to like cast suspicion? Yeah, no, no, no. When 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 Cooper he'd have an alibi for being in jail. I don't know. (laughs) When Doppelganger Cooper shoots Phyllis, he says this is George's gun, and that's the lawyer because. I mean, yeah, obviously the husband okay. was in jail and George was coming over that night. So somehow all three of them are wrapped up and that would be like a way to like tie a bow nicely on that is my guess. Okay, that makes more sense. I mean, one of the main um, criticisms I think about this whole new season is that there's been a a lack of focus on the town itself of Twin Peaks. What did you guys think about that? That we didn't get really see the characters that we're used to. I mean, it's eighteen episodes, so yeah. And I feel like if I feel like if you've got one shot at this, you know, as because as far as we know, we're not getting more beyond this. So I feel like if you're going to tie everything into the greater mythology and you want to have a satisfying maybe you know this is probably the swan song of the show and getting a chance to wrap everything up that maybe he didn't really get to do the first time around because the show got cancelled so I feel like and also due to the fact that the way that they blocked these episodes is apparently in parts so like I think the first four episodes are part one and then I don't... I think it's four parts total. So, I mean, even if we're not going to get a ton of the old characters right away, I can't imagine that we're not going to see more of them as the show goes on. So I'm not really that worried about it. I mean, I'll admit, like, it's it was a little disconcerting. Like, that, especially when you see that first cut um, and you see the, the title card for New York City, it's it's a little bit strange. And I can see, I could see why people would sort of grumble about that. But I, like, I'm just along for the ride, you know, especially viewing this, like, I'm viewing it like watching an 18-hour movie. 
basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, me and too. And so yeah. to complain that the first, you know, two hours of that 18 hours is a bit silly because I we don't know where this is going yet. And I think I think if you're going to have new characters and you're going to set up all this new stuff, you have to do it right away. Like, you have to yeah. interweave it with the old familiar characters and you have to you have to to like jump right in because it'd be really weird to do like a whole hour that was oh here's andy like putzing around the sheriff's office and you know here's some other stuff that's happening in the town that would be great though (laughs) i mean i'd watch a whole show about that but But actually, you know, let's let's talk about let's talk about what we do see in Twin Peaks because there there is stuff there. I think, but yeah, as we get into that, I think I'll say, I think the lack of Twin Peaks is not a coincidence. I think that it's done there on purpose. I think um, the main focus in terms of story wise is that this portal to another dimension is literally what the whole town of Twin Peaks is based around. Like, in the secret history, we know that no matter how far-reaching this story goes out and how high different countries it reaches, it all comes back to this one place. And I think that the the fact that Bad Coop clearly doesn't want to get drawn back into the Black Lodge links into that. And that's why we're not focusing, and that's why he's so far away from the town as opposed to staying there. I think it's, a, right. I think it's interesting as well that we know for for certain that Deer Meadow, the sister town to Twin Peaks, hasn't been seen yet. And I think that as we get closer towards the finale, that we'll get a sort of a deeper focus on the town. And I wouldn't be surprised if the last few episodes were entirely set in Twin Peaks. Yeah, I think... Right, yeah. like everything's going to converge on Twin Peaks right. at the yeah. end. Yeah. And it's sort of... This, and the whole idea is that it's not only Twin Peaks the return in terms of the show it's twin peaks the return for these characters like good coop and the bad coop yeah i think i think in the end everything is going to tie back into the town or at least everything that ties back that that you know ties back in at all it's i think we're going to see a lot of these characters converging yeah completely um it's it's going to be very interesting i think to get more into these backstories of the characters that we know and love, because even though we saw Shelley, who I love and adore, um, and James for what two seconds, <laughs> there's so much story there already that I'm intrigued to find out more about these characters. Okay, first of all, I gotta mention this because I I don't even know why I'm so focused on this. I tweeted about it already, but Doctor Jacoby and the shovels. He gets <laughs> yeah. this. We see him. He's living in a trailer in the woods somewhere. And he gets this delivery of a couple of boxes, and it seems to be all shovels. Five shovels, or at least, right? Or at least it's more than one shovel. And I don't know how many shovels one person needs, because the guy who brings them asks if he needs any help. And he says, no, he's going to do it himself. And you see, well, you'll see what he does with the shovels. It's not that... <laughs> <laughs> yes, there's more shovel action. <laughs> it's not... It's not... <laughs> okay. It's it's not that exciting, honestly. Like what he ends up doing. Uh, oh, I'm so disappointing. With the, to the sh- to the shovels. But- that sounds weird. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but it's you do. There's a little bit of follow up, but you still don't really know what he's gonna use the shovels for. 
Uh, so. there's, there's more shovel action, but... Okay, there's just, yeah, look, like I said, I've only seen the first two, and I'm I just, sorry. like, the things that you, like, the things that you <laughs> latch on to can be completely random. It's still random. It's still <laughs> random. <laughs> like, we're what, four, you and I are four episodes in, and it's still random. Yes, it's, it's arguably more confusing. Uh, I still love the idea that he's still wearing his glasses, which is amazing. A little blue in her. I don't know. I know, right? The glasses. Yeah. Like, Aww. Aww. He still, uh, God knows what he's doing with them now. Uh, Everybody's just so gray now and beautiful. I love it. I know. Like Andy, Andy with the same hair, but like with his little belly. <laughs> he's, he's, he's so funny. He's he's so cute. Oh, and we, okay, so we have the scene in the sheriff's apartment where the guy comes in asking to see Sheriff Truman. Yes. And then we get... <laughs> I love that the show is still like this and still has this weird humor, but the whole, like, she doesn't know which Sheriff Truman he's talking about. Yeah. And one is sick, and one is fishing. Yeah. Um, which links back into the book as well. Obviously, we know that uh, the Trumans are famous for being the sheriffs of the town. Uh Harry's dad was the sheriff. Obviously, Frank Truman was the sheriff uh, before Harry took over. And, um, of course, like, well, it's not like a repeated record. Uh, you do find out about Sheriff Truman in the next two episodes. Um, but I think it, if you've read the book, it's safe to suggest that they've gone back to the old style of um, there being two Sheriff Trumans at the minute. It's just funny because, like, I don't know how much you guys talk about the behind the scenes and casting and everything, but because Michael Onkeen retired from acting, yeah, yeah, like six years ago, I guess, because the the last movie he did, I think, was that Descend the Descendants with George Clooney. Um, but Robert Forster, who's Sheriff Truman in this, was almost cast in the original Twin Peaks. Yeah, I think he. I think he was cast as <laughs> Sheriff Truman. And then, or couldn't do it. Yeah, and then got replaced or couldn't do it or whatever. So to have him be in the revival as the second Sheriff Truman is really funny to me. Yeah, it's a it, really nice touch. Yeah. Yeah, it's almost perfect, and it adds that sort of nice, familiar theme to the show, which is that obviously in Twin Peaks, everyone kind of ends up doing. The same sort of jobs, and um, along those lines. And then we get the the now watching it now the really beautiful call <coughs> from Margaret the Log Lady to Hawk. Yeah, yeah which is, I have so much love for her, and the fact that she still took out time to do those scenes is just amazing. I mean, obviously, obviously, very sick while she was doing them. Yeah, and I got the same reaction to how when I listened to David Bowie's last album, which is like they knew they were going soon and they were saying goodbye in this medium. And so when Margaret says, you can always come by, I love pie, it was so heartwarming and just sad. Like, it was so beautiful for her to do that, I think. 
it was just nice to see her one last time. And obviously we saw uh, there's a beautiful tribute in the episode to Frank Silver, who was seen in the back like uh, background footage and flashbacks. And Katherine Coulson, who played the Log Lady. And it was just nice for Lynch to go back and add those elements in. Mm-hmm. It's definitely a surreal feeling, because you see her... You see Miguel Ferrer playing Ro- Albert Rosenfield. Yeah. And and he gets a really good, you know, role in this. I'm actually curious to know how much we're going to see of him, because so far it's been pretty... We've seen... we've We do see a lot of Albert, at least in the, like, first four episodes. Uh, so, it's bittersweet, I think. Because... You know, like I have the same feeling that I think I'm gonna have when I watch the Last Jedi. Oh, I'm, yeah. I, I can't even, I, I can't even deal with it. I cry like, like when I see her on on sad. like magazine photos. Like I saw the the Vanity yeah. Fair cover of of Carrie Fisher and like burst into tears. So <laughs> Last Jedi's yeah. gonna be rough. It's like, it's like happy and sad when you see them on screen because you're like it's the last thing before they did before they passed away. But then it's also you know, like it's this captured moment in time. Um, but I think, yeah, the long lady was especially bittersweet just because you could definitely tell that she was not well, like, filming her stuff. Um, but it was just so beautiful. And, and I, and I also love Hawk. Oh, yes. Silver Hawk. He's like, instead of Silver Fox. (laughs) I was like, (laughs) just, but he's so good. Michael Horace. Oh, he's amazing. He's always been, like, he's always been such a fascinating, like, the sort of the, the steady man of that group. I don't know how he puts up with yeah. Andy sometimes, but he's just absolutely incredible in the episodes and the scenes in the forest where we see the the uh, Glastonbury Grove again was fascinating. And um, I guess I was going to talk about the trees as well. They seem to have grown quite a bit. I wonder what your sort of I, like your thoughts were on that because with the whole idea of being drawn back to the Black Lodge. There seems to be this sort of 25 year cyclical thing going on um obviously 25 years ago coop went into the black lodge um we see him a uh, bad coop getting drawn back into the black lodge 25 years later and i think in secret history of twin peaks there's a i think 25 years before what happens to laura there's a sort of date around that time as well where the, there was activity going on so do you think that there's some sort of cyclical cycle here going on where Every twenty-five years, like bad happens. Isn't there a isn't there a something where I thought I remember something from the original series where the entrance is only open to the Black Lodge is only open a certain time. Yeah, there's a sort of a constellation pattern. I think it's Saturn and Jupiter. Right. So I wonder how much that's tied into the twenty-five year. Timeline. Oh yeah, definitely. That I think that's there's definitely hints that in the secret history as well. Uh, there's certain characters I think who we know later on as a different form of that character, um, like historical sort of ideas that we talked about before, Emily, with a uh, Denver Bob, who's just sort of outlaw that disappears during that same sort of time. Um, yeah, I'm intrigued by that sort of. Obviously, that sort of weird constellation sort of thing. And we see Coop falling through the Black Lodge into this sort of weird space-like place where the camera's shaking so much that you can't really focus. But 
it seemed very sci-fi more than the traditional series we would know. No, I'm really I'm really interested to see um what we're going to get in the woods and especially because it's it seems anyway going off the first two episodes that Hawk is going to have a really big part in that. I mean, the fact that he is the one who Margaret calls and that she tells him it that something is missing and in finding this is going to have something to do with his heritage. And of course we know back in the original series he he talks about the White Lodge. And I believe that in the secret history we know that he's related to obviously the tribes that live in that area who had a great deal of knowledge about this place. Um, which I think personally for me, the secret the book has a lot of hints to the questions that are sort of brought up in this sort of new series. And before I go into my sort of theory, I want to ask both of you, what do you think is missing that Hawk needs to find? Aside from Cooper. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know. Well, didn't, doesn't the log lady say something like it's connected to his heritage? Yes. Uh, So, hmm. (laughs) I'm just thinking about the scene. (laughs) The bunny. Oh yes. <laughs> it's not about the bunny. Um. Uh. Who I, I don't know though. It's it's interesting because I feel like there's a lot of. It almost does feel like sometimes there's a lot of. Well, the lodge, you know, the lodges obviously, but things like when they talk about the owls, it does feel like there's a like almost a little bit of a Native American undertone to a lot of this stuff. Like a lot of the supernatural interdimensional strangeness that happens in Twin Peaks. So I would actually really like to see that explored more. And if he, if Hawk has to kind of tap into something, although I'd really, I wouldn't really like to see like him go on some weird kind of vision quest. Like, I feel like you don't like, that doesn't really need to happen. Although I, you know, Cooper's had visions, so I guess if my feeling is if you are going to have a character do like a vision quest or, you know, try to figure, like, you might as well, like, actually have the actual Native American character on your show do it. Um, hopefully without turning it into too much of a stereotype. But there's, I mean, there's elements that the show I feel already draws from, so the fact that they are, that they're using Hawk to kind of dive deep into answers regarding Cooper's disappearance and where he's been all this time and, and figure out what the missing piece is. Although I have no idea what the missing piece is. What about you, Emily? Oh, I have no clue. Okay. (laughs) No theories at all. (laughs) Well, no, I mean, at this point, I, at this point, I'm really not sure whether it's going to be something like an actual missing thing from the files that they find when they're going through them or whether it is as simple as as what Lucy blurted out which is well Agent Cooper is missing I mean yeah I think that's the most obvious answer I, I mean and I know Carly I we said this before but you definitely have to get this book because it's amazing I know. All right. All right. This week. I'll get the book this week. I promise. Do it. And if 
after this after this podcast, I will order the book. <laughs> and like the first sort of section of the book goes, it starts off, I think chronologically. So you look at the the, the diary of uh, Lewis and Clark and their expedition, and they visit Twin Peaks, and uh, one of the the tribes they meet there, I think, is related to Hawk. And obviously the, the the chief of this tribe of Native Americans, and there is a big fo- focus on Native American um, sort of history in this book. He's wearing the um, the owl ring from um, Fire Walk with Me, and obviously we know that in Fire Walk with Me, the ring is of great importance when it comes to possession, uh, stop, or at least stopping possession from the spirit. So I wonder if that is what is missing that has to help Coop. That's definitely a possibility. Also, I was just thinking, like, literally, this just occurred to me, but, um, supposedly, Fire Walk With Me is very important, right? Yeah. Okay. The, the thing in Fire Walk With Me, when, when Annie appears to Laura and says to write down that Good Cooper is in the lodge. Yeah. Now, we don't we don't know for sure whether she wrote that down. And we know oh, that I, at various, yeah, your, pa- at various point. points, like, pages have been torn out of the diary and the diary has, like, been burnt and all these other things have happened. But if, though, if that still exists somewhere, if it ever existed at all... If, if 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 that's what's missing, that diary. I think that's a good point. That is a very good point. Um, or yeah, if the diary's missing, obviously that's obviously that's intriguing, and they have to find it. But it, even if if it's still there in the evidence box, there's a chance that the message might be even in there. And will give Hawk a better understanding of what the situation has been going on. I mean, because if if Cooper is mentioned in Laura Palmer's diary, uh, from the standpoint of the characters in Twin Peaks, yeah, who would have no idea that they ever like you know Laura Palmer would have no reason to know that name. Again, yeah, this comes back to the sort of weird time travel aspects of Fire Walk With Me, because um, surely if it was in the diary still, when they read it for the official investigation at the beginning of it, they would have seen it, right? His name in the book. Yeah, unless unless it's... If it's... It could be, even if she did write it, it was like in part of it that got destroyed because we know that happened so it might not even like be there anymore yeah and i think we have to remember as well the secret history of twin peaks book the ending gives a little hint to what uh ganger uh has been getting up to or at least wants to get up to and we know how he is in the season three so i wouldn't be surprised if he tried to tie up some loose ends as well Oh, that's another thing that we should talk about is when he's talking to when when Kubelganger or whatever we're gonna call him is talking to supposedly Philip Jeffries, 
Although he questions whether it's actually Philip Jeffries. Because it's not Bowie. Philip mentions mentions that the doppelganger met with um, Briggs. Yes. Which is fascinating. I mean, yeah, and we know that's true because of the book as well. Um, Of course, you know, the final chapters and stuff, but I think... Yeah, it sort of links into that whole sort of idea. Like we know that in the original series, there was the sort of the three main characters that had a uh, a really good sense of idea what was going on was um, Laura, uh, Major Briggs, and Laura's mother Sarah. And I think that, and we don't really see too much of Sarah in the show yet. I think she might have an extremely important role to play. Obviously, we know that she has this weird psychic connection with the Lodge. So I wonder whether that will get expanded at all. Uh, she Obviously, she was the first person to see Bob. Like Laura could. Maybe that has something to do with it. I mean, definitely could. You know, it's so... I, it, I, when I was making notes, I realized how strange it is to be talking about Twin Peaks without knowing what's going to happen because like i mean i obviously when i first watched the show i didn't know it was going to happen but i sort of watched it after it was all out and i didn't like have anybody to talk about it with so i didn't like go in depth into the show as it was happening like i watched it as a complete thing yeah like sometimes like obviously like we've watched the episodes over and over again and you kind of have time to focus and think about these sort of theories and obviously other people have had years of working out the show and sometimes like, like I look back and look at other people's theories and sort of add it to my own but with this is completely brand new which I think is fascinating and obviously one of the big questions is like what happened to Leland and Laura so Carly I'm wondering how did it feel seeing Laura again for the first time in all 25 years so good uh, <clears throat> I mean it's 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 one of those things where it it's exciting, but then you're also it's like a tragic excitement. Yeah, because you realize it's it is Laura Palmer, you know, and she and she, it's, there's that classic backwards talk that everybody in the red room uses, and um, and then she basically said, comes out and says, "I'm Laura Palmer." And you realize she's been stuck. And then, I don't know exactly what is it that happens. She gets pulled, like, yanked into the ceiling and then disappears. It's so weird. Yeah, I mean, obviously, Fire Walk With Me has a really sort of happy ending. In -hmm. terms of her finally defeating this horrible enemy and getting away with it, kind of. And I always assumed that the angel represents the White Lodge. And sort of that spiritual pureness. Um, which I think is sort of acknowledged again here when she takes her face off. Yeah. All you see is that bright white light, which to me was... That's right, yeah. It really warmed my heart, because sometimes I think it's hard to whether to trust these sort of characters in the Lodge, whether it's really Laura or sort of a horrible puppet version of her. And I think that when she takes the face off and she says, I'm Laura Palmer... I think that's truly her sort of saying, it is me. 
I've, I'm pure of soul. I'm in the White Lodge. But I'm trying to help. I think the idea is... Right, and maybe that's why she gets yanked out, because she's not really supposed to be there. Yeah, but when, and she, that... when she gets yanked out, she gets yanked out screaming. Yeah. I think, yeah, I think the idea is that the Lodge is... Like, obviously the only thing in the Lodge are these, like, sort of comfy chairs. They look really comfy. Um, <laughs> which I think is, like... <laughs> Fan theory. Let's ask Kyle McLaughlin. Be like, are the chairs in the red room comfortable? They look comfortable. <laughs> I'm asking that later on. Um, oh my gosh! Please do. <laughs> I want to know if he replies, and if he doesn't, poke me, and I will ask him, and we'll just bombard him until he answers the question. <laughs> it's not a spoiler. Hashtag it's we not. need to know. Um, Hashtag, and then I'll and then I'll like CC Mark Frost. I'll be like, you'll answer because I know David Lynch doesn't probably doesn't like yeah uh yeah i think like the idea of the red room is that there's this nice sort of curtains and there's these comfy chairs but it's all a sort of to trick you into this false comfortableness and then all this horrible stuff happens i mean i've I've never really trusted mike um the man from another place but then this season he seems sort of more trustworthy again i don't know whether that's because we see him in the form of gerard um, I mean, the tree, you can't really get sort of a, an idea on, because it's a tree with <laughs> a weird head. brain sticking on it, maybe? Some weird blobby skin-colored... Evolving, yeah. Thing. I think I think I trust him a bit more this season, I mean, I, as the idea of the doppelgangers and stuff. But I, I think the Black Lodge... Obviously, that waiting room, sometimes it's the waiting room, sometimes it's the Black Lodge, and you just don't know. I think that Laura wasn't supposed to be there. I think that her helping Cooper is against the the residents of the Black Lodges. They don't want her to help him, basically. Which I think makes sense why the horrible version of the tree attacks him later on. Um, and yeah, it's intriguing, because obviously the spirits can't really give that much detail to him. They just give you sort of weird, vague clues. So I mean, I'm still sort of trying to work out what the what their sort of aim is. I'm constantly second guessing myself when it comes to what these spirits are actually doing, which ones to trust. Um, even the giant should we really be trusting him? I mean, everybody has their own agenda, like especially when it comes to the spirits. And, and what that agenda is and how often it coincides with what's like good for the characters that we like. Who knows? Yeah, I, I'm still confused about Mike's point of view. I always assumed that Mike was helpful in terms of trying to stop Bob, but in the season finale in Fire Walk With Me, he didn't really seem bothered about Coop being stuck there. But now he seems to be very involved in this trying to get him out it's very yeah i'm still <laughs> confused about the whole I, like we said this whole episode is just saying we're still confused but it's nice to be confused and to sort of go through these theories because i think we're just grateful to have twin peaks back on telly i i was just really excited and i'm actually glad because i had watched the original series uh, like 10 years ago maybe for the first time 
and then didn't really rewatch it at all until recently, but I had also never seen Fire Walk With Me, and I watched that the morning of the premiere, and I'm really glad I did because I feel like so much of this new Twin Peaks is... Like, watching Fire Walk With Me gave me more of a, of a reasonable expectation of what the new Twin Peaks was going to be like in terms of the darker, kind of uh, grislier like, more violent, you know, funny in parts, but, like, not as whimsical, maybe, as the original show. Um, and I think a lot of it is because now it, like, Showtime paid David Lynch a lot of money to make a Twin Peaks show, and he's making the Twin Peaks show he wants to make, damn it. Like, <laughs> you know, so I saw a really good tweet from one of my friends, um, Eric Diaz, who also writes for Nerdist, but he basically said... Uh, David Lynch isn't conforming to television anymore. Television is conforming to David Lynch, which I thought was brilliant and kind of sums up this new show so well. Like, it's... Lynch is doing whatever he wants, and it's great. <laughs> yeah, and obviously when Lynch doesn't have any boundaries, it's he, he makes the best artwork. Um, I think, yeah, Fire Walk With Me is very... It's a very dark film, I think, which is very... Surprising because I consider Firewalk Me to have a happy ending, which is very strange considering the whole film is about this girl being murdered. But I think what Firewalk Me miss was missing at least was that sort of frost touch of um, this sort of strange, solid uh, dialogue and like humor. There's like like you said, there's not really much, many laughs in Firewalk With Me. But in this new season, it's had that sort of film-style Lynch-directed shot. But at the same time, you can see Frost's humour coming through. Yeah. Like, uh, seeing Ben and Jerry Horn back, and the line, Is that mother's hat? (laughs) Was the best... (laughs) (laughs) I couldn't stop laughing. I was just glad to see. Why does Jerry? Jerry looks homeless now. Is... I'm just saying that, like Jerry, as like some like marijuana entrepreneur, is <laughs> maybe the best like character evolution. Like it's such a logical leap, and I love yes. it. And also, just random Ashley Judd cameo. I was like, okay. <laughs> Ben Horn is just, he's still got a little uh, office to himself, and uh, Jerry's still bringing random bits of food in. It's perfect. Oh, Except... but oh man, Ben with that R-E-S-P-E-C-T thing. I know. <laughs> I mean, first of all, to hear, to hear Ben Horn talking like that is hilarious. But it's it's just, it's a great little moment, like, surrounded by this crazy, crazy craziness. Like it's like they've not changed one iota. Like <laughs> there's the same, and that's the thing I loved about the show coming back again is that I feel like if we had a season three in the nineties, it just wouldn't be of the same caliber as what we're getting right now, and it just feels like these characters have lived their lives. Like it's not like it's forced, and when we come back, they're doing all these strange different things. It's like we're just popping in and out of their lives and it feels exactly how it should be like seeing uh shelly and james again and poor james is a uh, had a motorcycle accident <laughs> i mean 
<laughs> so he had a motorcycle accident. And now he's just quiet. I know. I love that. I love that. That's what happens. But I was like, he's smiling and stuff. Like he looks fine. I first I thought they were gonna be like, well, he had a motorcycle accident. And now he's kind of slow. And I was like, no. Yeah. <laughs> He looks fine, guys. See, I'm concerned because obviously, obviously, as we know, after every decision, James gets on his bike and leaves Twin Peaks. So obviously, he can't do that anymore. That's why he's stuck there. I feel bad for him. And he's obviously he's after another lady, because of course he is. So how long do you reckon that'll yeah, last for? Yeah, maybe he can play another song. <laughs> also, Shelley talks about her daughter, which I was yes. like, is it her daughter with Bobby? Is it her, like, whose kid is it, you yeah. know? Like, presumably, presumably it would be Bobby's. You would think it would be. And the, fa- uh, the fact that she's... Even though they couldn't get married, they couldn't legitimately get married at the end of season two because she was still already technically married to Leo, but I don't know. Is I don't think Leo's showing up in this, so... <laughs> well, last time we saw him, he had uh, a lot of spiders around him, so I'm assuming That's right. <laughs> I think, yeah, his fate was pretty ambiguous. I, I don't think he's coming back. I don't. I didn't. I didn't see anything in the casting uh, list. That's why I was like, okay, so he's probably dead. <laughs> but, um, well, he's mom is the. But yeah, the guy I, mean, I mean, Bobby's coming back too for sure. Like Bobby's Dana Ashbrook's in the cast, so maybe it's her kid with Bobby. I know. I think yeah. the casting director is the guy who plays Leo's mom. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, so I I don't know. I think he's just maybe moved on or something. Uh, I think what was interesting as well is that Shelley is clearly not with Bobby anymore, based on the scene we saw in the bar. Um, and that are you? Is that really, or was she just hanging out with the girlfriends? I couldn't tell. Well, I was she... thinking more that that look she exchanges with um, is that Balthazar Getty who's playing that guy at the bar? Yes. Oh, yeah. Well, it's interesting because it seemed like he was hitting on her and she was kind of like, ugh, over it. <laughs> maybe I'm... Maybe, I don't know. I got Maybe not. I got but... the opposite impression because I thought it was very interesting that he kind of looks like Bobby. Hmm. Yeah, younger, younger, younger Bobby. Yeah, maybe she's got a type. Maybe. Maybe she's a fling. Could be. I mean, if I had to guess, and this is just based on, like, looking at the characters and the fact that her daughter is, is old enough that she's in some sort of relationship of her own that Shelley doesn't approve of. But that, you know, Shelley and Bobby had a kid and are no longer together. Whether they were together for a couple of years or several years. But I, I feel like they, ha- be, yeah. they, weren't, they aren't together now and maybe haven't been together for a long time. Yeah. That's probably a good guess. Yeah, I'm assuming that's where we're going, and it's interesting to see that um, she's very protective of her daughter, maybe based on the decision she's made, like getting married really young, leaving school, marrying Leo Johnson, who's the worst. Don't do that, uh, Shelley's daughter. <laughs> Don't do that, Shelley's daughter, maybe, whoever you are. Maybe she's with- I'm curious to know who it is and if we'll see her. Maybe it's Amanda Seyfried? That's what I was thinking. It makes sense. Yeah. Because, I don't know, they look kind of, like, she looks like she could be her daughter. And, and we get to, we're potentially going to get to see uh, Andy and Lucy's son. Yes. 
<laughs> Which, uh, you know what's really funny? Is I have my friend... My friend is, uh, she was already guessing which actors were going to play the kids. And I was like, that's actually a pretty good guess. And as of now, she got one right. So we'll see if she got the other one. I can't comment because I've seen episode four. (laughs) No, I know. (laughs) It's good. It's very good. Um, I will, I think one of the things, like, without spoiling it, I will say, as now that the show, now that we're four episodes in... There's definitely it definitely is getting funnier. Like yeah, definitely. So you have that to look forward to. You, people that are listening that haven't watched ahead, you have that to look forward to. Like if you were concerned about it being super dark and intense all the time, like it's starting to get funnier. Yeah, I like think, over here in, in my opinion. In the UK, the warnings before each episode, it was like the first episode was like extreme nudity, uh, horrible scenes, <laughs> flashing lights. <laughs> Horrible scenes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> strange things. Wait, there's, there's not a, is there a warning? There's not a warning for that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ter- yeah. Terrifying imagery, nightmare fuel. Yeah, you'll see Madeline uh, Zima's bomb. You'll see uh, her get murdered <laughs> two seconds later. She gets naked in like everything. I know. Well, I mean, I've really only seen her in two things: this and Californication. So I was like, I was like, she. Gets naked and everything i'm sure that's not true but that's all that I, <laughs> that's all i've seen her in and she gets naked in both so. all i know is that i'm never doing netflix and chill with her <laughs> you don't want to get killed by a horrifying alien spirit creature yeah that perfectly i mean not. it's rule it's like the first rule of any horror movie don't have sex you die yeah like, <laughs> you get killed by the monster like <laughs> i mean in her case it's either you either have sex and die or you wake up next to David the coffee so you know either way <laughs> like it's you either win or you lose I mean have you seen the company lately it's I would take that yeah, that's what that's I mean fine. yeah like <laughs> he's been getting he's been getting ripped lately I think for new x-files again so <laughs> it's fine with me <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I think the last thing we'll talk about as well was uh, Leland poor Leland or, or should we say poor Leland I don't know Depends on... Uh, yeah, who knows? I think... Uh, again, like we mentioned earlier about the doppelgangers and stuff. I felt really bad for him the first time. When I watched the episode for the first time because... He seemed really upset. Like that sort of weird, like sad, quivering lip that he has. Like, oh, find Laura. And he's like, oh, I feel bad for him. Because like, when I first watched the episode, I assumed that maybe... He's still in this state where, you know, last time we saw him... Uh, Coop is telling him uh, go into the light Leland maybe he's gone into the light and he's been stuck here for 25 years trying to find her still which made me really sad because you know even everything that went on it's, it, if he wasn't responsible it sucks right <laughs> um, but then when I watched it for the second time his eyes are completely white uh, so it looks like it's a doppelganger which makes me question um, why he's asking Coop to find Laura, and if like just the whole sort of situation. Like obviously, these doppelgangers have, have this end game. But I'm not quite sure what it is. It was freaky. <laughs> <laughs> I actually didn't catch the part where his eyes were white, which that changes things. I think. Yeah, or they look like I said. I gotta watch it again. They look quite same sort of style as the season 2 finale like they seem 
completely white, at least when I watched it the second time, um, which makes me question it. I mean, obviously we can watch it again, always double check, but that's what it seemed like. What did you think, Emily? Um, no, I didn't catch that, so I'll have to go back and look at it again. Um, he also I... has a comfy chair, so, you know, it's not, it's not too bad. <laughs> I took it. I took it as it being Leland. I took it. I took it how you took it the first time you saw it. Did you sympathize with him? Yes, I did, and in always that strange way that I sympathize with him, which I which, which I sympathize with him when I think that he, you know, was possessed by Bob when he was a little kid and had no idea the horrible things he was doing. Which I go back and forth on. But... What, about, what about you, Carly? I've never asked you that sort of question. What's your thoughts on Leland? Like in general? Uh, <laughs> or well, the, I... As a character? Well, sort the... of how much, how much responsibility Leland has for the things that happen to Laura. Oh, yeah. It's we- Well, and it's weird, too, how... I always got the impression that he was a pawn and Bob used him to carry out all those evil things. Um, but then, you know, because in the original show, he any time that we would see, it was presumably, and in Fire Walk With Me, there was a lot of Laura seeing Bob and it actually being Leland, but she doesn't see Leland in the moment. She sees Bob. Um, and that kind of, like, like, she can't discern the fact that it's her own father. So that leads me to believe that he was kind of... Like, Bob was using his body to carry out all these terrible things. And then you see him start to kind of put two and two together and, like, you know, put in the missing pieces and realize that, he, you know, it was his hands that carried these things out, even though he wasn't controlling his mind or his body at the time. Um, but, you know, Bob, he confesses to everything, and then Bob makes him commit suicide. So, I always felt like he was kind of a tragic figure because I don't know if I necessarily felt sorry for him, but I always felt like he was he was kind of a pawn in the whole scenario and was being just being manipulated, you know, and taken taken over without his it, it's I, I mean the other the other part that's kind of complicated is he even admits in his confession that he I think there's a part where he talks about he accepted Bob he accepted Bob in when he was like a child so like he but then again how much consent do you really have as a child for that kind of thing so well, it's kind of like I say that I say that as if it's you know it happens all the time like <laughs> you get possessed by a demonic entity from <laughs> but I don't know I, so I'm confl- I've always been conflicted about Leland I, I don't know if I necessarily feel bad for him but I always felt like everything that happened, like the murder of, of Laura and all that stuff, it was, it's weird. Cause sometimes it's hard. I think even the show isn't really clear on how much of it is Bob. And if there's a little bit of Leland in there too. Yeah. I, I, I like Emily, I think I flip flop between when I first watched it, I thought he was just being possessed by Bob. I think the film and it's like, different bits of elements in like, the books and stuff seem to suggest that maybe it's a mixture 
he knew what he was kind of doing, but I mean, it, it depends on how you watch it. Obviously, it's a good allegory for like the real life situations as it is. Obviously, sometimes when horrible stuff happens to you, you try not you try to explain it another way. Um, and like you said about him as a child, I think it suggests also that Bob abused him sexually um, mm -hmm. as a child, and obviously that's horrible and right, explains it's kind of an allegory for like the cycle of abuse that happens in real life when a lot of times you see people that were abused as young adults or children like continue that yeah and that's that's because, what yeah that's what sort of um that's what sort of puts the thought in my mind that maybe it's, he was just abused as a child and did it to laura but then yeah. There's no doubt in these paranormal like bits of information, so it's yeah, it's intriguing. I think the thing that makes it most uh, sort of detailed as well as Ray Wise's acting, which is always on the edge of completely sympathetic to just evil. Mm -hmm. And even yeah, like I said, like even that scene in the new episodes where he's he looks devastated, upset. And you feel bad for him, and then the next time you watch it, it has a double meaning. Like, could it be this sort of malevolent version of him instead? I don't know, <laughs> but I'm sure we'll find out. Um, I, I'm sure. I don't think that's the last time we see Ray Wise in Twin Peaks. So, is there anything else that you want to talk about for the first two episodes? You know, I'm gonna wake up in the middle of the night and remember something we didn't talk about, but. <laughs> Uh, Evil Coop's hair. Oh my god, it's wonderful <laughs> and amazing and terrible, and I love it. And he has like a weird fake tan. Almost. I know. It's like he. <laughs> it's like fake tan to the point where he looks dirty. Like it's grimy looking. Yeah. yeah, it is. It's like dirt and sweat, and he just looks like he's sweating all the time. Oh man, I I love Evil Cooper so much. I. Seed, like he seems to be having such a blast playing that part, and it's like it's so terrifying, but at the same time, there's this underlying like ridiculousness to it. And I'm just, I'm like, I know. every time that he's on, I'm just like, can't look away from the screen. The scene that epitomized that for me was when he just shoots Daria and then goes next door for a bit of you know, a bit of fun. <laughs> Right, I was like, right, right, randomly, like, well, who is that, Jennifer Jason Lee? I was like, okay, random, like, chick who he apparently calls to clean up evidence, dead bodies, whatever. Like, she's just another one of his business associates, but also they have sex. Yeah, I think, <laughs> I, I think uh, you are so wet is not a line you ever would have heard on ABC Twin Peaks, but... <laughs> Doesn't he say the F word? Doesn't he say the F word in Evil Coop, I think, says it in one of the first two episodes? I can't quite remember, but yeah. Someone said that. Somebody said, he's like, I think I think Cooper says the F, drops the F bomb. Not not Dale Cooper, but Evil Cooper. I wouldn't, I I wouldn't like, blame Dale, though, for saying I don't fuck. Rem in the, in the right? <laughs> I, don't rem I don't remember him saying it. I gotta, again, like, gonna have to go back and watch. Um, but yeah, I think I honestly like, and I, and I wrote a, a piece to, about this 
for Nerdist, like, I love the fact that it's on Showtime because I'm, I'm really glad that there, there aren't these network, you know, standards and practices kind of constraints that you would get. Because the original show was on ABC and back when it first aired, there always seemed like everything that we saw always felt like kind of sanitized and a lot, you know, so much of the show was groundbreaking, but I think you could see Lynch was like, wanted to push it further and couldn't like there were times where, yeah, there were times where you wanted to be like, like super, you know, the finale is like super weird. Um, I think the furthest he ever took it was uh, the Maddie death scene, which I think that he aired without telling them, which is the most, I think the most scariest like horror scene I've seen. But it always felt like he wanted to kind of like, was always kind of walking the line between what was appropriate for network television and what wasn't. So I'm really glad this new series is on Showtime because I feel like, the show's just not skimping on anything, and it kind of makes it more exciting, um, and feel makes it feel more unpredictable. Like you don't know what's going to happen next, and so that kind of and that contributes to that overall sense of just feeling unsettled all the time. Which for me, like that's what I love about Twin Peaks is kind of that unsettling feeling. Yeah, and I think back to Emily, your point there as well is. Um... It's the way he says that line. You're wet. It's just, it's so horrible. <laughs> it's like... right. You're like it's like creepy. Like we it's like because we know it's evil Cooper and and so it's like gross almost. Like you're like Ugh. yeah. It's like <laughs> you know. But she it's like factually yeah, as well. It's like she, you're yeah. wet. I was like oh god. <laughs> you couldn't imagine like oh. Dale saying that to Annie. <laughs> he, has all, he has all these poetic lines and then like evil Coop is just like let's just get straight into it uh. right he's basically just like alright let's let's check out the situation <laughs> <What>? <laughs> let's suss out the situation <laughs> oh god oh, man. That amazing hair though I, I, wouldn't, I don't, I don't so blame good. her the I don't whole blame look her is good. Okay. The... I mean I mean it's I, there's just something unset again. I like I'm using the same word, but there is something very unsettling about him, and it, it's those it's those contacts. Yeah. Every time he's so. It's just it just gives me the creeps. Like every time I get the shiver up down my spine, and I'm like, Ugh, like you just want to squirm. Have you ever watched? Every time he's on camera. Have you guys ever watched Portlandia? I've seen clips from it. I've, but I've not seen the whole like show. one episode. Okay, so obviously Carl is the mayor in it, and he sometimes he has this like really obscure, strange disguises. Like there's an episode where he's like a sort of an Amish farmer. Uh, Evil Coop just feels like another char- <laughs> strange character that we've seen him sort of play. This sort of you know, everything about him <laughs> is just the creepiest. Like if he's trying to be in disguise at being. <laughs> A bad guy. He's not doing a good job. It's like the, I, I like the idea that Evil Coop is wearing this suit, and the first decision he made was like, "I really need some snake skin boots. I need to get it <laughs> <laughs> as soon as possible." I mean, the first thing I need to do is grow out my hair, and brush my teeth, and <laughs> brush his head, and have to grow the hair out. It's yeah, it's just. It's just no, but I like that because he's not. You know, it is. It is twenty-five years later, so he is. 
he's not pretending to be clean-cut Dale Cooper FBI agent. Now, whether he whether he he kept up that ruse for a while before he went on and became some sort of really really complicated criminal that I can't quite follow yet, or or whether it was more like an immediate thing, I I like that he's that distinct. Yeah, I think the, the interesting thing for me as well is that obviously he's disappeared in terms of the FBI and stuff, but he right. seems to be doing all this very complicated shady business deals that you think that they would be aware of um so i wonder if they they knew about that before or whether they just believe that dale had gone completely out of the blue i guess we'll have to watch and find out (laughs) (laughs) i mean that's the thing i'm excited and i almost feel like it's a little it was a little bit meta in the show because like as soon as we start watching Hawk gets the call. It's like, you've got to find Cooper. <laughs> it's like, just in time for us to watch. Just in time for us when we tuned in. And now they're looking for Cooper. <laughs> and we were saying this last week. Um, from their point of view, I'm wondering how strange that is. Because obviously the original Twin Peaks seasons took place in what, like two months? So this guy that they knew for two months. Yeah, it wasn't a long time. Yeah. And like they're dropping everything at a hat <laughs> to help him. Um, which I guess I'm surprised to even remember, like most of it, to be honest. Um, I think that we've gone through most of the episode. I don't know if there's anything else you want to add. Not me. I don't think so. It's a lot. It's a lot to. I feel like so much of it was just completely inexplicable. Completely, yeah. And I think it. They did a really good job at sort of tying it in. I think the inclusion of the previous season clips at the beginning and stuff helped but um again overall it's just one of those things we have to sit on and obviously as more episodes come out i'm hoping we get a better understanding but then again it's a lynch project so don't don't count on it not everything will be answered exactly and that's okay and uh obviously uh the viewings and the subscription figures for showtime has been incredible. And based on Lynch's recent remarks, I wouldn't be surprised if this might not be the last time we see Twin Peaks. I'm thinking it might be the last time we see some of these characters, but you never know. Never know. And I would actually be kind of interested in a Twin Peaks show that tells different stories. Yeah, like even just continues on this sort of world wide approach. I mean, I love Twin Peaks for the characters themselves, but the idea that they're introducing like the next generation is always a great sort of thing. And that's what I like about this being sort of like Star Wars in terms of a quasi reboot, where we go back, it's, it's still continuing the story, but we're, we're, we're learning new stuff as well. So, uh, thank you for coming on, Carly. It's been amazing to have you on. Would you like to plug anything? So you can plug anything you want. Oh, let's plug. Oh, plugs. Always the best part of any podcast, <laughs> yeah. right? Uh, <laughs> always the most fun part. Uh, yeah, I am on Twitter 90% of my life. Uh, so you can follow me on Twitter at my name, Carly Lane. Uh, I Like you said at the beginning of the podcast, I'm currently writing over at Nerdist. I'm also writing at Sci-Fi Wire. Um, 
that's pretty much it. Oh, and in terms of podcasts, though, if you want to listen to me ramble about other TV, uh, I co-host a show called Supergirl Radio. We talk about the TV show, which just aired the season two finale. Um, and we're going to have a live uh, broadcast talking about the finale. And then we also cover the comics and other iterations of her character. So if you tune in this summer, we'll be doing a lot of character spotlights and fun random episodes and maybe watching a couple episodes and doing live commentary (laughs) we're still trying to hash that all out so so make sure you subscribe to that on itunes uh emily should we plug our podcast and yes email you can get us on twitter at house annie pod you can also email us at house annie pod at gmail.com if you have any questions you want us to answer on the show or any comments or theories um that's where you can get us i also wanted to say we are part of the radio free podcasting network run by patrick bonfrisco who is actually going to be guesting on the show at some point in the future um, if you go to RadioFreePodcasting.com, you can check out the other shows there. Um, there's Hollywood and Vine, which is a movie podcast. There is, uh, I love the title of this one, it's John in 60 Seconds. It's going through Brilliant. the movies of John Cusack, one minute at a time. Right now, they are on Say Anything. And there's also Radio Free Mandalore. If you're a Star Wars fan, I highly recommend that one. It's a lot of fun. Okay, great. Well, that's all we have time for this week. Uh, Next time, we will be looking at parts three and four of Twin Peaks The Return and continue to figure out what the hell is going on. Um, Thank you for listening. Goodbye. Bye.